doubt you can tell from my fabulously un-Scottish tan, these last few weeks I've been somewhere, well, a little less rainy, a little less grey, somewhere a little less cold and damp. I've been to visit the summer, I can tell you, from the front lines. It's actually rather nice, the summer. It's all kind of bright and cheery. There's this yellow, fiery ball up in the sky, and these rays of warmth radiate out from it. It's very nice. We as a family, we've been away in France um, for the last couple of weeks, and it's become, it's become a pretty standard fixture in our summers here. But every year, we seem to have some sort of crisis while we're away. It's just kind of one of those features that's now developed to be kind of normal in our holidays. So, you know, we have a major incident. Last year, last year our major incident stemmed entirely from a huge error I made. It's so embarrassing, I can't even tell you about it. Maybe, maybe later if you ask me nicely. This year was pretty modest. The, the huge issue we had this year is we flew Ryanair. And, you know, I... I just forgot what it was like. We got to the airport and we thought, we're going to get to fly. It's going to be lovely. And then we discovered that actually we were departing from the, the black shack next door with no windows. The, the uh, El Chipo terminal struggles in that airport, you would hardly believe. But what I want to talk about tonight is what happened to us two years ago. Our big holiday event from two years ago. Now, we just got off the beach. We like to play on the beach mostly because it's free which is lovely. We got off the beach at an end of a long day. We were sandy and we were hot, you know, and we had loads of stuff. You can imagine when, when I have five kids, when we go to the beach, we, we take most things, almost everything with us. And there's most of our universe is on the beach with us. And as we gradually dragged ourselves off the beach, we were around the back of our car and we were kind of unloading our entire universe into the boot of the car. And we got back to the front of the car and I thought, that's strange. The glove compartment's open. Looked a little bit more closely, and we discovered to our horror, both of our wallets had both been set there in the glove compartment of the car. We'd been round the back of the car, changing and dusting off and clearing up. By the time we got back to the front, somebody had taken both our wallets and legged it. I have to admit, we were actually a little bit worried. More than a little worried. I mean, we were in France, and it's not Kazakhstan, but still, it's not home, you know, and we only had a few euros that were lying around various places that we could, we could scrape together. We, we probably couldn't afford, we figured out pretty quickly, the petrol to get us to the ferry to get home. In fact, in a few days, we were going to start having trouble feeding ourselves. So what? Why, why tell you this sort of story tonight? Whoever took our wallets... They didn't just take our money. They, they took more than that. What it seems to me looking back is they, they took our ability to take care of ourselves. They took our, our independence. They took our, our ability to say, it's okay, look, it's okay, I've, I've got this. I've got this. It's under control. Don't worry. They took our security. Now, it seems to me we so often in this life look to money for security, don't we? Mr. Mr. Credit Card and friends are what we look to when we think about what's going to keep us safe, what's going to keep a roof over our heads, what's going to keep us well fed, what's going to get us out of a hole. But for all sorts of reasons, money really doesn't offer us that much in the way of security when the chips are down. For one thing, it can be nicked like ours was. Now, 
Some of you are going to feel all satisfied and smug. You're going to be the sorts of people who, when you get on holiday, you take your credit cards and you spread them out. There's one here, there's one there, there's one there, you know, and you stash some money in four different places and nothing like this could possibly happen to you. You wouldn't have every single device you had that gave you access to money in one place. That would be a pretty silly thing to do, wouldn't it? But, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you discovered, say, overnight our banks had suddenly introduced capital controls? That for all you're very clever having lots of money in the bank that was definitely going to keep you safe and secure, now it's not going to do you any good. Now you can only pull out just a few pounds each day. Really not that many. How, how, how much security is your money now? Or, or, or what about this? When your bank does open again, after it's had these controls in place for a while, they say, well, you know all that money you left with us? Sorry, we don't have it anymore. We, well, we kind of lost it. What about they say that? Where's, where's your security then? That so nearly happened a week ago today in Greece. How, how much is it that our money, uh, our stuff, the people around us, how much is it that we look to them for security at the end of the day? How much is our confidence in them? More than we would like to admit. And yet it's not worth this confidence we place in it. It doesn't always rescue us. It can't always look after us. When the chips are down, it doesn't actually work. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been working through the Psalms of Ascent, these, these songs used by God's people as they go on, on pilgrimage up to their holy city, the city of Jerusalem, for those, those three big festivals they had each year. Today we're going to look at Psalm 121, and that speaks about this need we have for security, right? This way we feel so strongly and want security. And it talks about where we can find it. So turn with me to Psalm 121. If you've got one of these red Bibles from the pews, it's on page 622. Page 622 is Psalm 121. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Why? Why look up to the hills? There, there are lots of different ideas people have for why the writer here is suggesting he lifts his eyes up to the hills. I mean, maybe these pilgrims on their road up to Jerusalem are eyeing the hills nervously. Maybe they're thinking there may be bandits in those hills 
ready to rush down on them at any moment. Or other people read this and they, and they say, well, maybe this is thinking about the, the mountains around Jerusalem, the holy city they're headed to, or, or the mountain Jerusalem itself is built on. Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe that's the hill that he's lifting his eyes up to look at. The pilgrims are looking forward to that happy moment when they finally arrive. Which is it? Why, why look to the mountains? Well, like lots of the questions we can ask the Bible's text, we just don't know the answer here. It tells us everything we need to know. But that's not always everything we want to know. But it tells us everything we need to know. But perhaps in this case, perhaps that's a good thing. Are you here tonight feeling like disaster might be lurking on every side? Do you feel like you're surrounded and in trouble? Well, maybe this invites you to read yourself in. Or maybe you feel like you're looking forward and uh, you're looking forward with confidence. You're about to arrive and the things are together. Well, maybe, maybe again you can read yourself in. Maybe we can... We can read it both ways. Helps us to consider the question. Either way, where does our help come from? And this word help, this is used always in the sense of protection and deliverance and security. Where, where does our security come from? Augustine uh, writes about this psalm. He says, so you've lifted your eyes up to the hills. Well, continue with the psalm and don't stop on the hills. Where does the psalm call us to look for help? It says, to the Lord, it says, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, if you were one of these ancient Hebrew pilgrims reading this, when you read a pair like that, heaven and earth, two ends of a scale, you'd hear everything in between. That's what the pair means. So when I talk about beginning and end, that doesn't just mean the beginning and end. It means the whole lot. When I talk about morning and evening, that means the whole day. When I talk about heaven and earth, that means, that means everything that's created, which is really handy if you happen to be on the Mars One shortlist. The maker of heaven and earth. See, exactly that same phrasing right at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Where our help comes from is God. And our help comes from the God who created everything. It all belongs to him. He made it, but more importantly for our pilgrim thinking about help, since God made it, this whole place is under his control. That's the first thing the psalmist brings to mind. This whole world, because God made it, because he's the creator, then it's governed by his power. It's at his beck and call. Where does my help come from? It comes from the all-powerful creator God. That's where. And look at what this help is promised in. So in verse 3, you can see here it says, he won't let your foot slip. Feels like quite a small thing, doesn't it? Like a very day-to-day, ongoing, all-the-time type activity. He's not going to let your foot slip. But then in verse 7, it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. A very big thing. Now, Perhaps slipping feet were very relevant. If you're on this long, winding walk up to Jerusalem, perhaps if, you, if your feet slip, you're going to twist your ankle, and then it's going to come a, a very, very, very long pilgrimage, a very painful pilgrimage. But more likely, having your foot slip is a kind of a general reference to life kind of getting out of control, of finding yourself beginning to panic, feeling like you're helpless in trouble. Listen to this section from Psalm 94 to get a feel for it. 
Psalm 94 says, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Do you see there, my, my foot is slipping, is kind of caught up in this. Does that resonate with you? Have, you? have you had this anxiety great within you? Have you wondered how you're going to get out of it? Have you wondered who's going to help? Are you there right now, maybe? Then remember this. He won't let your foot slip. No, he will watch over your life. And your watchman, your guard, your protector, the psalm is speaking about God, He never grows tired. It says he never takes his eye off the ball. Verse 4, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There's no moment when anything can creep up on you or overtake you when he's not watching. He's not ready, standing guard. He stands to protect day and night, verse 6 says. Now, this idea of being kept safe from the sun, right? The sun will not harm you by day. That might seem quite odd to us because in Scotland, the sun... Pretty much never going to do you harm. But in the Middle East, the sun's a different question. In the Middle East, the sun can kill you pretty quick. Summer in Israel, shade is essential. It comes between you and harm. Can you see that sort of picture? The Lord is your shade. He comes between you and this harmful sun. He comes between us and the things that threaten and endanger us. Now, the moon's another thing. Does the psalmist really think that we need protection from the moon. What's the moon going to do to us in the night? Well, perhaps, perhaps the psalmist shares ancient fears that the the moon might drive people crazy. You see, there, there are fears reflected even in some of our language that this happens. Think about the word. We, we talk about a lunatic, don't we? A lunatic. And luna obviously is the moon. But I think more likely, when he talks about being protected from the sun, a very real danger, something that can kill you by day, and the moon by night, I think he's talking about imagined danger. Unless, of course, you're a werewolf, in which case it may have more effect. But like so many things in life, the fact that the moon's quite harmless isn't enough to stop us worrying about it, is it? Like in this country, spiders basically harmless and that's not enough to stop us worrying about them is it maybe the lord is so gracious here that he's offering us protection from really dangerous things like the sun he'll come between us and also things we might imagine are dangerous things we're afraid of then if you look at the very last verse look at verse 8 it says the lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore it's another one of these pairs coming and going It encompasses the whole thing. For these pilgrims, reading this originally, coming and going might mean going out on this long, dangerous journey to Jerusalem all the way to when they come back and return home safe and sound. For us, what does coming and going talk about? Each day, as we come and go from our houses and return home, perhaps. But really, when we read this passage about a pilgrimage, The truth is that Christians are on a pilgrimage, on a a journey. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your, your journey, your pilgrimage is your whole life. 
You're on a journey towards this heavenly Jerusalem, towards this great festival that's going to be thrown when the king of heaven welcomes us into his presence. When we worship together with all his people, we've got this festival at the end of our journey of life. And so when it talks about the Lord watching over us and our coming and going, it's talking about the whole duration of our life. Do you get the totality of the Lord's watching over us here? The extremes that he keeps giving us in all these different directions. He says the the creator of heaven and earth watches over us, this all-powerful God. says he watches from our footsteps all the way up to the whole of our lives, every detail to the big things. says he watches through the day and the night without sleeping all the time. says he watches from the, the coming and going, from the beginning to the end of our journey. The Lord, all creator, watching all, all the time, all the way. A lot of alls there, aren't there? A lot of alls. I think that's the sense the psalm is trying to give us, is just the the totality and the extent of the security that's on offer. How's that for an answer to anxiety? How's that for a security that is really worth having? One more thing I want you to notice from this text. Do you notice how the person in focus in the psalm shifts? Look at the beginning. Jesus says, I lift my eyes up to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Who's in focus in verse 3? Who does it change to? Not a rhetorical question. You. You. Do you see how there's a person talking about his security and confidence? The one who starts out expressing his confidence then goes on to encourage somebody else. He says, you, your footstep. Can you, can you imagine this? Can you imagine guys on a, a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem taking this long walk through the wilderness and one of them who's feeling confident, who has his faith in good, strong standing, says to the others, the Lord is my help. And he turns to me and says, he's your help. Two. Can, can we encourage one another just like this psalm does? Do you know that's one of the reasons we sing together? One of the reasons we sing is to encourage one another. Part of why we'll sing some more later on tonight. But are you in a place of confidence tonight? Are you in a place where you know my help comes from the Lord, this all-powerful creator? Are you in a place where you're confident of that? Then perhaps you can look around you tonight. Perhaps you can look around you in your life and see others who need to hear. He won't let your foot slip. Are there others you need to speak to through this? Can you encourage them? Or maybe today you're the one glancing anxiously up at the mountains, wondering, how am I going to survive? I feel like you've got no security that no one's your help. Then hear these words and be encouraged because the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, is your helper. But for most of us, I expect the challenges were neither of these. I expect we're not particularly anxious. We're pretty comfortable. Perhaps we're thinking bandits. Got it covered. I'm well armed. 
Perhaps we're thinking foot slipping. It's okay. I got my walking boots on. I'm going to be okay. Perhaps we're thinking, son, got my parasol handy. Sun cream on. Factor 50 plus. No harm for me. I wonder whether the danger for us is more likely we think we've got it all covered by ourselves, that we're feeling quietly confident and secure in ourselves rather than in God. Spurgeon writes this, he writes, help comes to saints only from above. They look elsewhere in vain. Help comes to saints only from above. They look elsewhere in vain. Think about this. Wouldn't it be so much better to discover these other places that we're putting our trust in, our confidence, that we build our security on, these other places we're... Wouldn't it be better to discover now that they're not real security rather than later? Imagine this. Picture this, okay? I've got a boat and it's got a leak. Don't you want to discover it's got a leak before you set out to sea in it? Isn't that a better time to find it? Or, or what about this? I've got a boat and it looks really handy, but it's made of rice paper. That's a better illustration. I've got this boat and I think it's going to be fine. But the moment I put it on the sea, it's going to sink. Just like we explored at the start, other places we look for security, okay, they're not sufficient. Money fails, people fail, things fail. It's only God who stands. It's only God who offers real security. It's only God who actually can deliver to the utmost no matter what happens. Remember we're doing this in two halves? I'm going to give us a minute just now to reflect on this and consider where is your security? What are you counting on to get you out of a hole? What are you clinging to? I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through God's word and challenge us. Give us a minute of quiet and then we'll come back together and pray and sing and talk a little bit more. Just give us a a minute of quiet. Father God, by your spirit, would you challenge us today and show us where we look for security? Help us to turn our eyes to you. We looked at the psalm, right? We talked about the question of where our security is. I want us to also think about what our security is. What sort of security do we get from this almighty creator God? What what does it look like to be watched over, to be kept by the Lord? What does this actually look like? Now, in some ways, it's terribly straightforward, isn't it? What sort of security? We're talking about total protection. We're talking about protection from feet slipping. We're talking about protection from all harm, verse 7 says. Really straightforward, Christians. God watches over the entirety of your life. And I expect many of you could speak about a time when you have experienced directly this sort of protection. Just this week, uh, I was pulling out of our drive uh, onto the lane that we live on, and I stopped just short of an oil tanker zooming up the road. Said a prayer. Said, thank you. You've delivered me. You protected me from all harm. Missionaries, many missionaries have far more amazing stories of how they've been protected in in very obvious and very supernatural ways from trouble. If you ever read a missionary biography, if you haven't, it's really worthwhile. There's these stories of the remarkable ways 
God has acted to, to keep his people safe. Sometimes these tales are so remarkable, it's, it's hard to believe they really happened. Or what about the Bible, right? The Bible is filled up with stories of God protecting and keeping his people, isn't it? Perhaps you'll remember in the Old Testament the story of when one of Israel's critical cities was surrounded by an entire army under siege for months and everyone thought the end was imminent. The city was just about to fall and overnight, God delivers them completely. The, the oppressing army hears the sound of somebody else coming in flees. That's uh, 2 Kings 7. Or maybe you'll remember in the New Testament the story of the Apostle Peter imprisoned. The plan to kill him the very next day, chained between two guards, watched over by four squads of guards, and he walks right out of prison. The chains fall off his hands. The doors open in front of him. It's so remarkable, the Christians can't believe it's Peter who's shown up to speak to them. Acts chapter 12. Amazing deliverances, right? Amazing security. But it's not always that way, is it? Christians' feet slip sometimes. Christians face harm. They're hurt all the time. Christians lose their lives. Remember Jesus' first disciples? Well, almost all of them died in a selection of nasty ways. Or just think more recently of the Egyptian Christians killed by ISIS on video so that everyone could watch. Now, it's not always deliverance and total safety, security and long life that Christians get, is it? So how do we read a psalm like this in the real world? The world where sometimes, yes, we are remarkably delivered, we experience supernatural security, but many times, no. What good are these promises of an all-powerful God watching over every detail of our lives? Is the psalm just blatantly false? Is it trivially, provably false? Is that what we find? Is there, in fact, no real security for Christians? Are we as exposed and at much risk as everybody else? Perhaps it's just that we're not spiritual enough to enjoy his protection. Maybe it's reserved for the elite, the missionaries and the saints, and, and we don't get to see it. But, but then it's not just us who could ask these sorts of questions. You see, Jesus knew what it was to have his foot slip as he carried the cross, didn't he? He knew what it was to be harmed as he was beaten. He knew what it was to have nothing shade him from the full wrath of God against our sin on the cross. Jesus knew what it was to lay down his life and meet death itself. We have to turn our eyes to the big story of the Bible to make sense of this, of how this creator God made everything and he looked at it and called it very good, but our first parents turned their backs on him in the garden, forfeited its safety, and how our good God didn't then turn his back on them, but instead pursued, sent his own son 
made a way for us back into the safety of his plan. Jesus has faced everything, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, obedient to death. Why did he do it? To make a way for us back into this relationship with God who we rejected. He bore our sins in his body on the tree to win for us ultimate security. The security that belongs to people God calls friends. More than that, to the very children of God. See, through Christ's sacrifice, we're adopted into God's family. We're offered a place as children of God. And the children of God, well, they stand secure forever. Their father keeps them safe forever. But still, what is their security? What is the security that we enjoy as God's children? What does it look like to be watched over by an all-powerful God? Let me read to you exactly what it means. This is from Romans 8. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What sort of good are we talking about here? What sort of good? Well, if we read on, it says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. What's our security? Our security is in our ultimate destiny. We will be conformed to the image of God's son, perfected in our being. We will be numbered among Jesus' brothers and sisters, adopted in his family. We will be justified able to stand once more before God guiltless and ultimately will be glorified. We'll be those who live forever with God in his kingdom, his kingdom that comes that will have no end. That, Christians, is what your security is. That's what you can be absolutely certain of. That's what an all-powerful creator, father, determines and guarantees to deliver for you. That's what he watches over every aspect of our lives to ensure. That's the, the destination that we can be certain of reaching through his care. We're not kept from the storms of this life. We are kept through them. We're not kept from the storms of life. We're kept through the storms of life. We fear no evil because he's with us. How does that work out in everyday life? What impact should this utterly certain and secure future have on how we live from day to day? Well, I'm going to keep reading from Romans. I think Paul's got it. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then's the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Then it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So relevant. Then he closes saying, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our security. That's what our security looks like. That's how it plays out in real life. That's what it means for us. Nothing at all can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. There's no condemnation for us. Might face death all day long can't separate us from the love of Christ. That's the security we have. That's security which should lead us into bold, abandoned lives pursuing him, right? It should free us from concern and worry because like Luther says, um, Luther says when he's under threat from the Pope, he says, you can take my head, God will give me a new one. That's the sort of security we live in. That's the sort of security that frees us to live bold lives, Lives that stand out from the world. Lives where we can take risks that to others would appear ridiculous. Because we have certainty, confidence, and security. Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight, I want you to recognize how insufficient all the other things we look to for our security are. How your money won't keep you safe in the end, how your home is not going to shelter you in the end, how your job will not provide for you in the end, how your relationships will not preserve you in the end, your friends, your family, your stuff, nothing, nothing keeps us safe in the end except Jesus, and Jesus keeps us truly safe. Come and find this security, it's on offer, it's open to you. If you came with someone, talk to them about it. Uh, Come chat to me on the door. I'd love to talk to you some more about it. We're going to respond.